Welcome to Shofar Cape Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. I'm sure everyone knows me, but for those who don't know me, my name is Jamie. That's my husband, Armand, who is leading worship. <laughs> I like to take every opportunity to tell people that he's my husband. Because <laughs> I'm proud of my husband. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so tonight I'm going to be sharing the word, and I've entitled my message, The Keys to the Kingdom. And I'm quite excited about this word, um, because I was sick. <laughs> I was like, no, maybe I did, I, it's the wrong word. And the fact that I was sick this weekend, which Blessing pointed out to me earlier, was like, clearly the Lord wants his word to be preached. <laughs> I woke up this morning, and I couldn't even get out of bed, and I was, I was like, Lord, you need to do something here, because if you want me to preach, I was about to call Posidy and be like, I can't do it. But it's by his grace that I'm here and that I can um, preach, so I'm very excited. I don't know about you, I'm excited. <clears throat> I love Natalie's energy. Don't you love Natalie's energy? <laughs> I love it so much. So the reason, well... Why I believe tonight's message is relevant for each and every one of us is because I believe some of us as Christians, we kind of walk through the motions of Christianity and church and praying for the sick and sharing our faith and witnessing to people, but we actually don't really understand what we have as Christians, what we carry. Um, we almost like kind of sort of like play around with it a little bit. I don't know, I used to do that when I got saved, like, oh, yeah, just tell someone about Jesus. And it was kind of like, but I never understood the magnitude of, of what it meant. And when I would walk on campus and I would walk in, the, in malls and things like that, and I would not understand that that I was carrying. And it's something so precious, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, so my message is going to be broken up into two bits. We're going to use one passage of Scripture, which is Matthew 16, verse 13 to 19. But we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to go to the, to the last two verses, and then we're going to come back to the top. Um, and we're going to break it down a little bit, because we're in a lecture theater. So let's understand the Bible a bit, right? Okay. So before I read the scripture, let me give you a little bit of context of where we are. So we're in Matthew chapter 16, and this is before, this is just as Jesus um, multiply the bread and the fish for the second time for his disciples. And now we find him in Caesarea Philippi. I don't know how you say that. but So he fed the, the, the 4,000, and it was about two and a half years after, the disciples, after Jesus had called the disciples to follow him, or after the disciples started walking with Jesus. So this is where we, we're picking up. Matthew chapter 6, and you can follow me on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, you're also welcome to read it. Okay. Matthew chapter 6, yes, there's it. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So there's a lot happening in this scripture. And it's quite a famous passage of scripture. We all, um, you know, quote it, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter says, but you are, you, you are, the Christ, you are Christ, son of the living God. So we're going to start at verse 18. So I'm going to read that again for us. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So we're going to break this scripture up a little bit. So you see, let me just see where we are. There we are there. Yes, verse 18. So Jesus tells Peter that on this rock I will build my church. So what's very interesting about this word church is that it comes from the Greek word ecclesia. I think that's how you pronounce it. Arman can correct me. But it's very interesting because Jesus only uses this word ecclesia twice. And both times that he um, mentioned the word ecclesia, he was speaking to his disciples. So it makes you think, what is the church? What is the ecclesia of God or the church of God? Ecclesia is the people of God, but it's not just mere churchgoers, um, but those who have followed Jesus and have had a revelation of who he was. So many people, up until this point, Jesus had many followers, right? They were like, when he fed the 5,000, there was thousands of people that Jesus was teaching and t- talking and telling stories and things like that. But up until his crucific- crucifixion, crucifixion, <laughs> Up until his crucifixion, the night of his, when, the, when he was arrested, how many people were left with him? Twelve, just his disciples, well, other than Judas. But all of the thousand of followers that, you know, in, in our context we think is, oh, that was Jesus' church. Jesus had this massive church with thousands of people. But actually when Jesus was talking about his ecclesia, his people of God, he was referring to the twelve disciples that followed him and had a revelation of who he was. Um, it's like that analogy. I think many people will know this. It's like, if you sleep in a garage, does it make you a car? <laughs> All right. So does going to church make you part of the church of God? Hmm? When, I, when, I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, should I say that? It sounds a bit harsh. But it really is the truth. The church of God is the people who follow God and have and have and have had a revelation of who God is. That when the time comes when Jesus is to be crucified, we do not abandon him. You know, hypothetically, now he's not going to be crucified now. He will come raised in glory and take us with him. <laughs> um, so just because people come together and we call it a church doesn't mean it is a church. Um, like I said, the church of God is people, the church or the ecclesia of God is people of God that have had a revelation of him and that follow him. Okay. So then the second part of that scripture is, it says, talking about the church now, it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when we talk about the ecclesia or the church of God, as in the true sense of the church of God, scripture is saying that nothing, not even death, can stop the ecclesia of God. In fact, you find often in, ch- in, in countries where Christians are being persecuted, where, pe- where Christians are being put to death for their faith, that is actually where the ecclesia of God is most vibrant where they really you know laying down their lives for the sake of Christ they're really preaching the gospel even without without fear of whether they're going to die I I read the story um 
few weeks ago now about a church in China and their leader of the church um, had been arrested. And then they interviewed some of, the, some, of his, some of the members of his church and he said, it's okay because the church will still go on. There's somebody else will start preaching. Somebody else will, will, will do what he was doing. So the Ecclesia of God, not even death, not even imprisonment can stop what God is doing when, when it comes to his church. And then thirdly in this passage, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So we went on missions in 20, when did we go to India? I think 2016, 2017. So we went up um, to India and we w- where we were staying in, in this village called Gargiana, we had to pass by this massive dam. It was called the Terry Dam. Um, and it's like this huge, I think there's a picture of it, Tokuzine, if you can find it. I think it's like, a, yes. it's like this massive dam. It's one of the uh, main dams in India and it, it's on the Bhagirathi River, which feeds the Ganges River, which is also the very big river in India. And this specific dam supplies millions of people um, in India with water. Um, so it's a very important dam. So now if you think about a dam, you have a dam wall, you have um, sluices. You know what a sluice is? It's those things that when you open it, it allows the water to kind of um, flow through. So if you can go to, the, yeah, there, you'll see there. So you see on that one, the, the sluices are opened. But if the sluices were closed, that water would not be able to go through the rest of the, the towns or the cities without be able to supply the rest of the country um, if we just kept that. So looking at that analogy, it's the same analogy we can use when we talk about the kingdom of God or when we talk about the keys that God has given us to the kingdom of God. So in the same way, the kingdom of God is like the water in the dam. This massive, just like pressure, like it's almost like this, 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 this a massive amount of water that's just about to rush out. And we, as the church, we have the authority to open or close those sluices. Because it says in the scripture, if you could just go back, is that, Je- that Jesus gives us the keys to the kingdom. So those keys speak about an authority to open or close. Um, basically to open or shut the suits to allow the water or the kingdom of God to actually come through. We have that authority. So if we choose to leave those sluices closed, guess what? Is the kingdom of God going to flow? No. That is what we carry. God is, Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. We have that authority. And so keys open and close doors. And the one who has, key, has the keys has the authority to that thing, right? Um, and so the church is essentially, when I speak about the church, I'm speaking about the Ecclesia Church of God. Essentially is the doorman or the gatekeepers. We are to open or close the door for the people to enter into God's kingdom. And Jesus is that door. It says in John 14 verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door. And we are the ones that have been given the authority to go and make disciples. And to go and make disciples means to bring the kingdom of God wherever we are. In Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even unto the end of the age. So Jesus has all the authority. And it says here in, in the Great Commission, when Jesus gave the Great Commission to the disciples, he said, all authority I have. He's saying that I have all this authority. Therefore, go. God is giving us this authority to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has the authority, and therefore, he could delegate that authority to us. No one else can give us that authority other than Jesus Christ, because he has the authority. He is the one who holds the keys. He is the one who gives us the keys. He's the one who gives us the authority to bring the kingdom. Okay. Okay. So the next part of that is, it says, if you go back to mm, next one, I mean, previous one, yes. I can't find it, but it's the binding and the loosing. It says, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So often this scripture gets used in terms of spiritual warfare. Have you ever heard, and now I'm not mocking anybody, because I also used to do this before I realized it. Thank you, Lord, we bind that and whatever will be bound in heaven will be, right? <laughs> it is funny because I also used to do that because I didn't understand actually what that scripture was saying. That binding and the loosing doesn't actually talk about spiritual warfare, but about an authority to bring the kingdom of God. That binding and the loosing speaks of opening and closing. Opening and closing. It's like opening a closed opening and closing a doorway for people to either see or not see. If we open, then people can see. If we close it, people can't see. So that's what it talks about when it talks about the binding and the loosing. In Isaiah 22 verse 22, it says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Binding, loosing, opening, closing, opening and shutting. So we have the keys to, the ki to open the door to the kingdom. We have been given the authority. Amen? Have we been given some authority? Have we been given all the authority? That's very right. So, so what is this kingdom that I'm talking about? What is this kingdom that we have the keys to? Okay. Romans 17 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when we look at the scripture, we can see three very key characteristics of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, or the kingdom of God looks like. Is number one is righteousness. And righteousness speaks about a certain standard of ethical living that is in line with the word. It's where the, the word of God is the morality standard by which people live. That is, that is the standard. That's what when we talk about righteousness. And then peace speaks about an inward peace, but also an outward peace. It doesn't just talk about you being at peace within yourself, but within, but between brothers and sisters. You know, there'll be no conflict. There'll be no war. Can we even, like, imagine what that will look like if there was no war or no conflict where everyone lived in peace with each other? Can you, can you even imagine it? It's difficult, right? But this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And then thirdly, joy. Joy is a contentment in who you are and what you have. It's a contentment in Jesus. Is that it doesn't matter what your neighbor has. It doesn't matter what you have, what you don't have. But you're so content. I think it's in Philipp Philippine, Philippians where Paul says, it's, and it's one of my 
favorite scriptures actually that um that no matter what I have I've learned to be content um and I think that's what God that when, when it talks about joy it talks about contentment in what we have and who Jesus is okay so close your eyes for a second everyone And I want you to imagine what would campus look like if it was fully yielded to the kingship and lordship of Jesus? What would campus look like if the kingdom of God was fully unleashed, in a sense, on campus? Okay, open your eyes. Who wants to tell me what they saw? There's no right, there's no wrong answers. Just kind of shout it out. What will it look like? No depression? Hallelujah. No yelling? (laughs) What else? (coughs) Come, Siva. (laughs) What What would it look like? Worship evenings instead of house parties. What else? Say again. People smiling in exam. <laughs> Someone on this side. What what would the kingdom look like? Gervis? Yeah, yeah. It would be beautiful, yeah. It would be amazing. I think it took me a while to actually think about what it would look like for myself because we're so used to seeing what it looks like when people are not yielded to the kingship of God it's we so it, it just becomes a norm in our lives when we see things and it's just it doesn't look like what Jesus intended for it to look like it doesn't look like you know the where our morality standard is the word of God where there's peace and no conflict because we're so used to hearing about conflict and war and you know all of these things on the news all the time that we almost actually can't Imagine what the kingdom of God will look like if campus was, or this nation was fully yielded to it, right? So we have to challenge ourselves to actually think that way. We have to challenge ourselves not to allow our thinking to be subjected to what the news tells us, to what campus looks like currently, but what Jesus says it looks like. You constantly have to, in a sense, Lord, show me what you see. Show me what you see. When you see these people, what do you see? We have to make that shift in our minds. And it's difficult because we're so bombarded by all of the negativity all the time that we actually have to be intentional. But when we walk around on campus, Lord, what, will it, what, what, what can I trust you, God, for? What will it look like as I'm walking on this campus and if I open this door and the sluices are open and the floodgates open and the, and the kingdom of God comes, what will it look like? I think about that water just rushing and cleaning everything out. There'll be no gunk in a sense. There will be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it will look like. Okay, so coming back to the first part of that scripture. Um, Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is giving us, he's wanting to give us the keys to the kingdom. But there is a little prerequisite to us receiving this, the keys to the kingdom. And we find that in, 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 in this narrative in Peter's life. And it's also here where Jesus also comes to the heart of things. So, if, you know, Jesus is very clever. He starts by, who do they say that I am, you know? Like randomly, so casually. They don't even have an idea that he's going to come for their heart and be like, who do you say that I am? <laughs> oh, we love Jesus. So he asks them, like, who do the people say they are? And then they rattle off, like, rattle off, you know, different names. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him, blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. So the prerequisite to Jesus giving us the, king, the keys to the kingdom is having a revelation of who Jesus is. God cannot give us the keys to the kingdom if he cannot trust us. And if we don't know who Jesus is, how will we know what he came to do? How will we extend his kingdom on the earth if we don't know who he is, why he came, what is his mandate on this earth? We need to understand those things. And that starts with a revelation of who Jesus is. So up until this point, Jesus, up until now Matthew 16, Jesus was from, you know, chapter 1 to 16. Jesus was, was showing his disciples who he was by performing miracles, by, you know, feeding the 5,000, by turning the water into wine, by showing him his character, by spending time with him, by doing all these teachings, giving parables and all this. He was trying to get them to get it. He was trying to, for, for his disciples to see who he was. But it was only up until this point when Jesus asked him, Asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? That Simon Peter, being, full, being revealed to him by the Father that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know what's so interesting, that I, what I found so interesting, that where this, actually in the district of Caesarea Philippi, let me just tell you a little story about it. In the specific district, it was actually the center for pagan worship. And in Jesus' time, actually, it was a center for emperor worship. So when it was in this dark spiritually dark and heavy time where people were, were doing pagan worship and sacrifice and, and worshiping a mere man, the emperor. It is in this place that Jesus chose to ask his disciples this question. And it is in this place where Peter gets that revelation that Jesus is the one, the only one worthy of worship. In this place. I don't, do you, I don't know if you guys are... I, but I think about like, Often when we walk around campus, and I've heard many people say this, like, oh, campus is so dark, so much of liberalism, all these atheists, all this, all that, all that. Oh, I just feel so heavy here. Da -da -da -da. And yes, they are, yes, our battle is not against flesh and blood, and there are things here. But even in this place, Jesus can people can have a revelation of who Jesus is. Even in this place, people can see Jesus for who they are. It doesn't have to be a Christian nation for people to see Jesus. When I think, like I think about many Muslim 
um, countries where people, you know, you know, you can't even read the Bible. Like, you can't even have a Bible. Where Muslims are having dreams and visions and revelations of who Jesus is. They have dreams of where they see this man with fire in his eyes, dressed in white, whose face outshines the brightest sun. This is where, they don't know who he is, but it's Jesus. And when you think about those countries, like, it's very spiritually dark. People don't talk about Jesus. People can't pray openly. People, you know, you know, have to kind of submit to, to Islam or whatever the, the, the religion is of the time. But it is possible even in our day and age when it seems so dark and it seems like with all the isms that how can people believe in Jesus? How can people believe in Jesus? And, you know, there are places where we, we have an intellectual conversation with people and, you know, we logically explain the gospel and we logically explain who Jesus is. But ultimately, that is only a tool for people to really have a revelation of who Jesus is. And that's something that we can trust for. And it is possible. It is not impossible. It is possible. Amen? Okay. So, until one knows who Jesus is, one cannot understand why he had to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and then rise again. So Jesus had to get his disciples to, to see who he was so that he could, so they could understand why he was doing what he was doing. So if you see after, straight after this in Matthew 16, um, verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. If his disciples didn't understand who Jesus was, or who Jesus is rather, they were never going to understand why he had to suffer the death that he had to suffer, the painful and gruesome death that he had to suffer for the sake of us, for the sake of the believers that will come after the disciples. It starts with having a revelation of who Jesus is. So, number one, yes, thank you, Tokuzile. So, number one, revelation. The scripture says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We need to have a revelation of who Jesus is. And I'm not talking about pictures of Jesus. I'm not talking about fragments, ideas of Jesus, or something we read in a book, but a real revelation of who Jesus is. Because when I think about coming back to like persecuted Christians now, when I think about them, the reason why they are so willing to die for the sake of Christ is why? It's because they know Jesus. And for a large part of my life, I was like, I don't think I know this Jesus that they know. <laughs> I used to have like, side note now, I used to have like these pictures like, Lord, what if people have to persecute me? Like, please just let them kill me. Let them not torture me. Like, they let them not pull out my fingernails or anything. Let them just kill me one time. And I'm like, it's because I don't know this Jesus. I don't know this real Jesus that I'm willing to die for. And it sounds harsh. But we have brothers and sisters that are dying for the sake of Christ in persecuted countries. We should be praying for them. We should be covering our brothers and sisters in prayer. So how does one get that revelation? So ultimately, like we see in that scripture, it says, ultimately the Father in heaven must reveal it to us. But that doesn't mean that we have to be passive in, in our pursuit for this revelation. We must spend time in the word. We spend time worshiping. We spend time meditating on the scripture. We spend time looking to Jesus, being hungry for Jesus, saying to God, God, I want to see you. I don't know what you who you really are, but I want to know who you really are. When I read Revelations 1 and I, and, I, and I read who this Jesus is, I don't know this Jesus. 
Jesus, show me who you really are. We've got to get to that place where we're so hungry, we're so desperate to see Jesus for who he really is, that nothing else is going to satisfy us. The crumbs and the crusts are not enough. You'll be hungry tomorrow. You need to be full with Jesus. And then secondly, the second point about Peter is identity. Jesus affirmed Peter's identity. It says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He was calling forth Peter's identity. identity. Peter means rock, that he's stable. He was calling forth that identity. When Peter had this revelation of who God is, Jesus then affirmed his identity and had a revelation of who he is in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to allow God to affirm our identity in him. Because if we don't allow God to affirm our identity in him, we'll be walking around aimlessly, not knowing who's we, where we're going from A to B. You know, I'm getting this degree or I'm wanting to get this job, but what is the purpose? I'll just be aimlessly like the sloth, kind of carrying on through the motions of life. But with what aim? I'm sorry, but I don't want to live that life. I want to live a life that's purposed, that is purposed and ordained by God. So we need to, Jesus needs to affirm our identity. And then thirdly, from Peter's life is boldness. When we have a revelation of who God is, and when we know who we are in Christ, we will have this boldness to be all that God has called us to be and run with that. You know, I mean, okay, let me just tell you about Peter first before I tell you that. So after Peter, so Peter had this amazing revelation of who God is. God affirmed his identity. Then, you know, later on in the book of Acts, when they went in the upper room and they waited for the Holy Spirit to fall and they got full to the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Peter speaks to this crowd after being filled with the Holy Spirit with boldness. Um, another example is in Acts 4 where Peter speaks again with boldness to the religious leaders of his time. If Peter did not have a revelation of who God is, and if Peter did not have a revelation of who he, of who he is in Christ, do you think he would be able to do that? Do you think he'll be able to stand before the religious leaders of that day? Probably, he, was pro he might have been stoned or imprisoned or killed or whatever, you know, because obviously they hated Jesus. Do you think he would have been bold enough to do that? No. He, knee he, he knew who his God was. He knew who he was. And he could run. And he could do what God had called him to do with boldness, without fear of anything. Amen. So, I'm going to share a picture that, I, that the Lord showed me. Uh, it looks a bit ugly, but let me just explain it to you. I'm not a very good artist. But so the sermon came from a picture that God had shown me a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, let me just explain. So on the one hand is, our, is us, our hearts. Um, and we are giving the key to our hearts to God. And it speaks about identity, it speaks about trust, it speaks about just giving our lives to Jesus. And on the other side is God's hand, um, and he's giving us this key. And it's this 
beautiful key. Like, obviously, my picture can't tell you. I think there is a picture of the keyhole in the door. It, my picture's not really telling you, but I wanted to show you my picture. <laughs> like, kind of like this iridescent key. Like, it's just illuminating and shining. And it's like, God is like, give me who you are. Because I want to do amazing things with your life. He wants to give us the keys to the kingdom. But like we've been saying up until this point is that God cannot just give us the keys to the kingdom all willy-nilly. We need to have a revelation of who he is. We need to lay down our lives and surrender everything before Jesus. And when we have that revelation of who God is, when we know who we are in Christ, then we can understand the privilege and the responsibility that comes with the keys that God gives us to to the kingdom. Like in the beginning, we spoke about the keys. We spoke about this massive dam and we have the authority to open or close these sluices. It's a privilege that God would give us this keys to the kingdom. It's not something that we can just take and put in our back pocket. It's something so precious that God is choosing each and every one of us to be part of his story, to be part of his way. He's saying, I'm giving you the keys. Now. You go and make disciples. I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you my boldness. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. I'm giving you everything that you need. You need to go and make the disciples. So when I um, first started, um, when I first was appointed as a student girls leader, it was a very difficult time for me. I think Marianne might know best. <laughs> it was very tough because, you know, I felt like I was still young. Like, I don't know, what am I doing? You know, I felt like it was almost like there's a scripture in Isaiah, I think, that talks about, like, uh, God doesn't give Leviathan to little children to play. I felt like that. <laughs> I felt like, oh, my goodness, God, you gave me such a big thing, and I don't think I know how to handle this thing, and I don't know what to do. And I, that whole year was really hard. I remember I would go to um, pastoral meetings and district leader meetings and elders meetings, and I would feel so intimidated. I would feel like, what the freak am I doing here? Like me. I can barely pray in tongues. I can barely get a vision. I can barely hear God's voice. Like, why? Why? You know? Until I came to a place where I realized that I need to have a revelation of Christ. And in that year, which was 2014, I started to grow in my relationship with God. And God started to show me who he is. And God started to show me who I am, my identity. That I don't need to be like somebody else to be able to walk out the calling that he has in my life. I don't need to be anything other than the package that God has given me. I don't need to sound more bold or sound more authoritative or have a louder voice. Because sometimes in those meetings, I felt like I had to pray a little louder so that people can hear me. But I needed to have a revelation of who Jesus was. And once I started to walk that journey of being like, Jesus, I need to know who you are. I need to know who I am. And a year after that, I started to be able to walk in boldness in what God has called me to do. I started to do the things that God had called me to do. You know, walk on campus, disciple people without fear that I was a fraud. Without fear that, you know, people were just going to find me out. But it all came from having a revelation of who Jesus was. Because if, I know who Jesus is, and I know what he's placed inside of me, and I know what he's called me to be, I can run. And no matter what anybody says, because... Like Matthew always says, as much as you believe you are called, there will be people who will believe that you are equally not called, (laughs) right? So there will be times in your life where people are going to be like, 
nah, you know, you're too little, you're too young, you're too immature, you're too this, you're too woman, you're too man. I don't know what the, what the, what some of the um, reasons will be. But irregardless of what anyone says, you are who God has created you to be. And the mandate and the calling that God has on your life is not anybody else's calling and mandate. It's yours. And you need to run with boldness in that because there is no other person like you. There's no one else that will fulfill that calling other than you. It's like an orchestra. If one person is missing out of that orchestra, for a while it might sound like the orchestra is doing fine. But if you listen a little closely, you'll notice that something's missing. So if the band could come up, and if you guys could just stand. It starts with having a revelation of who Jesus is. You know, we, we only see who we really are when we see Jesus. And sometimes we go on this pursuit of self-discovery or self-awareness, trying to figure out who we are. But you can only go so far if you're on that route. You need to start with having a revelation of who Jesus is. And when you see Jesus, then you're able to see yourself in the way that God has created you to be. So you can just close your eyes and you can just connect with God and just bring your heart before God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can just lift you up in this place, God. Thank you that we can become quiet before you, Lord. Thank you that we can stop allowing the things of this world to speak for a moment. And just allow your voice to speak. And so God, I pray right now in this room, Lord, over every single person. Father, won't you reveal who Jesus is? Father, won't you just show us? We want to see you, Jesus. We want to know you, God. We don't just want to regurgitate who you are from a book that we read, God. We want to talk about you from experience. We want to talk about you like we've met you. Open our eyes, Jesus. We're hungry to know you, Jesus. We're hungry to know who you really are, God. We want to see you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that it is in that place that we can know 
we are yours, that we are found in you, that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are not rejected, that we are victorious, that we are able, that we are not orphans, because you are our Father. We are your sons and daughters. So Father, I pray that you just speak to us now. Speak into every heart. Give us that revelation, God.